Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, a teacher from Carmel, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Lambert, director of bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative. Before we begin, I'd like to tell you about the Dynamic Marching Shop. This podcast is coming to you ad-free. One way you can support us is by visiting our website, dynamicmarching.com, and sign up for all or some of our awesome courses and instructional videos. You can also purchase products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web, on things like shoes, rifles, podiums, megavoxes, and flagpoles. I know that many times you continue to order your products from the same people every year, but if you look at our prices, you may change your mind. We even offer deeper discounts on large orders. Please give us a chance to win your business. Welcome to the program, everybody. We're very excited today to talk with Dan Atchison, who's the executive director and CEO of all of our favorite activity, Drum Corps International. And I just couldn't be more thrilled uh, that DCI season is coming upon us again. And uh, man, we have lots of questions for Dan, as probably all of you do too. But Dan started um, as a teacher um, and an adjudicator and a, and a member and um, he was on the board of directors, uh, and then in 95, I believe it was, was asked to uh, be the executive director and CEO. And so he has uh, been uh, the executive director of DCI through, I would say, some of the most incredible years of design and performance and, you know, also some of the more challenging times with the economy crashing and uh, with, you know, various uh things that have happened in the activity over the years and not the least of which is COVID. So Dan, thanks for coming on to the program. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about this past year with 2020. Um, gosh, I mean, obviously we, we did a number of podcasts about the high school, uh, you know, and all the things that we had to do to prepare to bring students back and uh, what it was like once we came back. So what, what was 2020 like for you and personally and for DCI? Well, it's been, uh, like everybody else, it's been quite a challenge to try to navigate uh, through everything. Uh, everybody's healthy. That's the good news uh, in, you know, my little sphere of family and so forth. So I'm very pleased with all that, of course, and grateful. But the, uh, the activity, you know, it's struggling. It's, uh, it, it's an activity, meaning it likes to move. It likes to do things. Uh, so it's been dormant now for the 12 months, and uh, it was on March 25th, I believe, when we made the call to cancel the 2020 season. And, uh, you know, not just the business of DCI, but the business of each of the cores that participate has been struggling ever since. But uh, resilience is the word for so many things in our society, and uh, certainly is the case for Drum Corps, too, because... Uh, all the drum corps have found amazing ways to keep their students engaged, to keep their activities moving forward, all in various states of uh, readiness as it relates to dealing with the business matters that they need to to survive all this uh, that has occurred. Um, and uh, DCI is the same. Uh, you know, many people asked uh, after we made the call to not have a season in 2020 if Drum Corps International was going to survive. And I don't think any of us, and myself included, could say yes. Uh, we know we wanted it to, uh, but uh, boy, you know, the challenges were something else. 
But as a result mm -hmm. of the, you know, answering to those challenges uh, from the cores and DCI's point of view, it's, you know, it's been amazing. The donors that came forth, the ticket holders that came forth, uh, the, uh, uh, the PPP loans and grants uh, have certainly helped along the way. And uh, not only do we see our way through 2021, but uh, we're going to be able to get back to some business in 2022 uh, that is similar to what we were used to. And uh, all of that combined is just, you know, so many people working very, very hard uh, to make sure that it could happen. And we had the unfortunate situation, like a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, that we had to let go of 21 great people back in March. And uh, that just, you know, devastated us in so many ways because we had a heck of a team going. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, just not able to bring them back anytime soon. And uh, the good news is most of them have found their way, uh, which is no surprise to me because of the, the level of talent uh, that we had. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're starting, uh, we're starting with a lean and mean team here to try to keep us through 2021 and, and get us into 2022. Uh, and then hopefully we can... Uh, you know, piece together the infrastructure again to uh, really soar as we had been doing before the pandemic hit. Bobby and I have been doing quite a bit of work for, you know, music for all over the years and in their camps and various other things. And I know that that's something that they really struggled with too, is, you know, you have 30 some staff members that make everything happen. And then, you know, you have to get to a skeleton crew of people that uh, that make it happen and, and still, and still have the same amount of customer service and, right. and just planning and all that. It's so hard. And, uh, definitely our hearts go out to those people who, you know, they had to be let go during this. And, uh, yeah, the challenge we have now is the same level of excellence is expected. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I know our friends at music for all and, and WGI are dealing with the same thing. They're like, Oh my gosh. You know, we're just trying to keep up here and, uh, you know, grateful that we're still in business. That's for sure. Right. And able to do the great things that our organizations have been able to do. I would tell you as, as directors out in the trenches, I think we all know that, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, well, this restaurant has been shut down for a year or two. Um, but now it's open up and you go in and you're like, well, you know, the service may not be as fast and the, you know, it may not be even quite as clean as it used to be, but Holy cow, the food that I came for, the most important thing is still what it was. So I think that just the fact that we see WGI, DCI and BOA being passionate about providing opportunities still, I think at least I, I at least on, on our end, I think that a lot of people will be very patient with, you know, we, we understand it's not, you're not going to maybe get all the bells and whistles, but the crux of what it is, that experience of letting kids perform for as many people as possible is really the bottom line of what we do. Dan, how did you, how did you get into this activity for the first time? Do you remember like what drew, drew you to it? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> For me, it was uh, uh, it was going to happen no matter what because I had uh, three older brothers participating, and a super mom and a super dad uh, volunteers uh, for what was a community based organization back in the day called the Queen City Cadets from Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, with my three older brothers uh, in it, 
uh, it was only a matter of time before I was going to be in it. And of course, being the youngest of the four, I had to be, you know, like my brothers, you know, I had to do what they did. And, uh, it was, it did was easy all for me because I was, oh no, no. Uh, my oldest played brother played snare. My next played, uh, bass drum tenors. And then, uh, my brother, Tom played, uh, contrabass tuba. So, uh, and I played a baritone and Dan, but, what uh, yeah, started at baritone. the ripe age of 11. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was pretty, that was much more common then, wasn't it? Like drum corps had oh, yeah. very young kids in them. When I first started judging for DCM, uh, the average age of the cores we were judging sometimes up, uh, some of the Canadian groups and, and some of those Northern, uh, Midwest groups, the average age was way lower than you see today. Oh, definitely. And, and, you know, we had, uh, I lived on a cul-de-sac in, uh, North College Hill, Ohio. And we had at one point, 11 of the kids in the cul-de-sac were in the drum corps. So, uh, very community based. Awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And then were you in the scouts or did you work with the scouts? No, I marched in the scouts in 1975 took a couple of years of teaching local corps in Cincinnati and then went back to the scouts in, uh, 78. And, uh, uh, from there got into teaching a little bit of drill designing and those types of things. One of the cool jobs that I had, uh, at, at, while I was the director of the Glassman, uh, was, uh, working with the, uh, university of Toledo rocket marching band. Yeah. I did that. Oh, wow. I did that for eight years. I designed their drill and, uh, you know, ran, ran the rehearsals most of the time, uh, you know, for the, uh, ensembles and things like that. It was, it was a great time. That was good. Uh, good fall, a uh, little bit of, uh, extra cash, uh, cause, uh, right. core directors, uh, don't seem to make that much. So, uh, yeah. so it was great, but it was also great for me, uh, in so many ways, connecting with band directors, uh, in the area and, you know, future band directors uh, as well. So. Could you ever have imagined that your career would be in drum corps? No, it, it's interesting. And uh, it, I'm going to share a little story for you. So I said that I joined core when I was 11. Uh, I was about 12, maybe 13 years old and decided that I was tired of being the youngest kid in the core. And I didn't like being picked on and all this so one night, and we used to have weeknight rehearsals. One night I decided I wasn't going to go to rehearsal. I had had enough. I was, you know, feeling sorry for myself. So my mom, little did I know at the time, told my oldest brother, if Dan doesn't go, none of you are going. So my big brother comes upstairs and instead of doing the usual and smacking me around or whatever, uh, he uh, gave me one of those heart to heart talks. And uh, said, man, he says, I'd, I'd hate to see you miss out on an opportunity. He says, I think you're going to be somebody that does something really important in the drum corps activity. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. So he was full of baloney, <laughs> but uh, he reminded me of that uh, when I was uh, inducted into the DCI Hall of Fame in 2008. So uh, he, he made sure that, you know, he... He got full credit for knowing, <laughs> of <course>. right? <laughs> so we have a lot of that. fun with that over the years. It's just a, a funny story, but no way I ever expected that. And, you know, when I took the position in uh, 1995, DCI was under distress. 
uh, financially and uh, I'd say, uh, you know, uh, psychologically and so many other things. And uh, I didn't really think that I, you know, I was hoping to do what I could uh, to keep it moving forward. It needed some leadership. I stepped up, I guess. And, uh, boy, I hated leaving the Glassman. I hope to get back either to the Glassman or back to being with the drum corps directly. And, uh, well, one thing led to another, I'm still here, I guess, but, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a great run and you know, how our activity is you're surrounded by so many amazing people you know, even those people you disagree with, you just have nothing but incredible respect for all, all along the way. So it makes it easy for me to to keep pushing forward. One of the things I love well, about Dan- Bobby Lambert is his uh, when he teaches drum majors and, and leadership, um, he talks a lot to the students about being servants. And I feel like um, I feel like the success that you've had at DCI is because you're a servant leader. Also, I have always felt that way that you you've always put the cores, the, the board of directors of the cores, the students, you know, above your own, any agenda that you might have. I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's, it's just, uh, it's just how I'm wired, I guess, because it's, you know, and Lord, I'm like any other human, you know, It, it can be about me on some days, but for the most part, I try to not let it be about me ever. You know, it's about those that I serve and the activity that I serve and the amazing things that the activity brings to those that participate with it, whether they're the performers or the staff or the uh, the volunteers. It's just just seeing lives change the way they do through the Drum Corps experience is just such an incredible reward. So it's it's it, it, it's easy service when you put that into perspective. I remember my first DCI show, um, you know, it was at Warren Central High School in Indianapolis when I was a freshman or sophomore in high school. And um, the the Blue Devils that year had this tag ending and there was this trumpet trio and solo that went up in stratosphere. And um, I had no idea drum corps was a thing. We didn't, you know, Star of Indiana was in Bloomington. I didn't know anything about it at the time. And my dad and I went to that show and we walked out of there and we were both like, where has this been all our lives? <laughs> and actually my dad and I have been to every DCI final since then, since the late eighties. Uh, I missed one in 95 cause I just graduated from college, but um, it's, it's been a really cool thing that my dad and I get to experience together um, and, and have for years. And uh, you know, everybody kind of has their DCI story, but that that's mine. It's just, it's been a family thing and uh, it, you know, there's something about it. Bobby, what was your first uh, experience with DCI? I, I can tell you it was watching it on PBS. I, it like, was near uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving break. Yeah. yeah, it was near Thanksgiving in the early 90s. And I'd been in band. I think I'd been in marching band maybe a couple of years. And if I'm not mistaken, it was either 91 or 92. I want to say 91. And because I remember Star of Indiana that year. I remember... Yeah. Uh, you know, it, and just having my mind blown that that existed. I, I if, if I'm really honest, I, it would be hard to say what I would have wanted had I not experienced and seen DCI. Yeah. Because I thought marching band was, a, it was cool and that's fine and good. But then when I saw that and knew that that, that was possible, I think I went after it in a very different way from that point on. 
Yeah, well, just, uh, it, you know, my own journey, you know, being in a local group, you know, we didn't travel much. We went to, uh, you know, Dayton, Ohio for a big trip, you know. <laughs> so uh, when I first saw Big Time Drum Corps at the U.S. Open in Marion, Ohio, uh, I was, you know, I, I just kept getting deeper and deeper in to just wanting it that much more, you know. So, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable to, and the, the thing that's amazing is right. The, you know, today we're probably all three of us are just as uh, crazed about seeing yes. an awesome drum corps performance as we were back then, you know, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Actually one of my prized possessions right now, I can, I, I'm sitting in my office at Wando. And if I look over my shoulder, there's a picture of, of myself and Greg Bim sitting in the stands of DCI finals. And I think 2012 or 2013, and it was a thing where when we didn't go every year, but any time that we could, he and I would go down to watch. And just I think anybody who's ever gone wants to go back quickly. And it you know that the way that cores have developed and adapted and evolved over the past ten years is nothing short of miraculous, really. Which kind of leads me to my first question for you, Dan. What do you think cores will look like in 2021? You know, people, that's the big question going around. Like, what what will DCI be like? What will cores look like? Let's start with what your prediction is of what will cores look like? What will be some of the differences and what are the similarities? Well, I think you're going to see uh, a, a lot of what you've seen in the past, maybe not in 2019, uh, and maybe not at the extreme level of excellence that you used to. But uh, you're probably going to see and hear things that you might not see or hear because we're not going to compete. Uh, we're all going to be uh, what we're referring to as celebration performances. And uh, so if you can imagine you're, you're able to assemble the talent that these cores are able to assemble and just have at it and not be too concerned about uh, the competitive aspects and the criteria on the back of a sheet and so forth uh, kind of liberates them a little bit. So I'm looking forward to what that might do uh, to add to the excitement of uh, what they bring. Their shows are likely to be a little shorter uh, because they are, uh, you know, restricted with the amount of time that they're going to be able to assemble uh, before they do before they do perform. You know, most groups are talking right now if everything happens in a really safe way. And we can talk about that in a second, but you know, if everything happens that way, they're, they're in the neighborhood of the last weekend in June, uh, first week of July of before they can assemble uh, person to person. And then, you know, from there do a couple of events uh, locally and a couple of events along the way to Indianapolis. And then the three day celebration we're planning in Indianapolis. And that's the usual weekend in August. Yes. Yeah, the uh, uh, 12th, 13th, and 14th of August, which would have been the world championships, but uh, we're referring to it as the, the DCI celebration. And it's, it, it really is, uh, as you can imagine, uh, the groups and the performers that want to be a part of these groups are just, you know, eager uh, sure. to get out there. And uh, we have this amazing uh, basketball tournament going on in Indianapolis, so... Uh, we're hoping that that leads to even more fans in the stands by the time we get to August. Uh, but uh, for these performers, as you well know, to have the opportunity to perform in front of a live audience, uh, yeah, that's everything. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, 
we're hoping that in a safe environment like Lucas Oil Stadium can provide and uh, uh, with the right protocols that the Corps put in place and everything that we can uh, we can safely put on these uh, presentations and safely have fans uh, enjoying these presentations. Right. Now, will you be um, any of the events that are different places in the country? Is DCI supporting or planning any of those or are those all local uh, organizers? I- yeah, it's kind of a combination, uh, like it typically is. Uh, there'll be some events in what we call the mountain range, the Colorado area. Uh, there'll be some events in the Midwest, uh, typical drum corps Midwest kind of events, uh, and a, a handful of events in uh, uh, Texas, bringing the Texas groups and a couple of the mountain tour groups uh, across the country, if you will, to get up into Indianapolis. Uh, and then there'll be uh, hopefully a couple of Eastern events, uh, one in a hopefully a very traditional location for DCI. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you know, we're we're still, you know, waiting yes. for everybody to wake up and, uh, you know, uh, give us approval for stadiums and, and, you know, things like that. But, you know, the cores are being uh very realistic. Those that have chosen to participate in this Indianapolis event, uh, they're following what's called our tour reopening task force recommendations. Uh, the He's task heading force, up that, Dan, the, uh, David Glasgow, former director of the oh, wow. blue coats. Oh, yeah. He's a he's a board member for DCI, uh, represents the blue coat still as an executive advisor, but he's done a terrific job of assembling the best talent you can imagine in volunteer talent in our activity we have an infectious disease expert who actually sits in on calls on the CDC is give you a kind of uh, background that she has. We have uh, some of our marching music, uh, health, wellness and safety project uh, volunteers participating that are sports medicine experts, uh, emergency room experts. Uh, we're talking about people that have actually firsthand dealt with COVID uh, in the emergency rooms and otherwise uh, the last 12 months. Uh, we have a, a, an amazing uh, risk management professional. We have a program coordinator, the longtime program coordinator for one of the cores uh, that uh, is helping advise, you know, hey, if we can do this, can we do it on, you know, less time? And, you know, can we do follow these protocols? Uh, people, experts in transportation, experts in food safety uh, and all those things. And they put together a 30 page document that we're using as an internal guide for the cores to craft their own protocols because they all, you know, they each have their own different set of circumstances. We have groups that are going to try to assemble for the three, four weeks of uh, rehearsal, do maybe one local performance and then head out to Indianapolis and just do the three days in Indianapolis. And then we have groups that are going to try to do, uh, you know, four or five shows in the Midwest uh, before they come over to Indianapolis. So there's some, uh, you know, there's some things that still make us a little, you know, nervous. Uh, but uh, the and DCI aren't going to do this unless these advisors give us kind of a green light and a path right. to do it safely. And then, of course, you know, like anything, uh, it's going to have a level of risk. Uh, you know, because while we hope, uh, as our president said last week, that every adult has access to the vaccine and boy, we hope everyone can get it by the time we get into the end of July, beginning of August, 
we also are listening to the experts that say, well, that's probably not likely. However, <laughs> there are yeah. things that we can do through testing, making sure that uh, you know the positivity rate is very low and headed in a downward direction. Uh, all those things, uh, you know, are are minimum viable conditions that we're looking at before we, you know, right now everything's go go go. We're going to do this, and it's going to be that way unless something, of course, happens that uh, prevents us from being able to provide a safe experience for not only the performers, but for the fans as well in, in every situation. This past fall, it seemed like, um, you know, the, the prudent thing for marching bands was not go, 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 but wait, wait, wait. And there was a lot more waiting going on in the fall. I think now there's just a lot more data. There's a lot more experience. There's a lot more people who know you know, how to give the right advice. And I think that's smart. You know, we, you know, it could all stop at some point, but I think for now, just saying, let's, let's do this. Let's give people this opportunity. Uh, I think that's the right idea. You know, in my personal opinion. Well, a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks are, we're planning on a, a you know, announcing a little bit more detail at the end of March, actually literally March 31st. And uh, we some people will read that and see us as being tone deaf to the fact that this virus is still out there. And in fact, it's the opposite. I mean, we're paying very close attention and we know that we are, until we can actually have the event, we're at risk of having to shut down. And everybody that's coming on board from the, the core members themselves to the staffs, to the core's board of directors, the volunteers, the fans, you know, we all understand that there is a risk of that occurring, but you know there, it has become so important in our world, in our society, and then of course in our own little ecosystem that we allow this opportunity for not just the performers, but for fans and everybody else to get back into business. And we're really looking forward to uh, putting this event on to just really kickstart the marching arts back again so that, you know, we are getting back into the excitement of a robust fall marching band season and the indoor season. And, and then let's get back to business. <laughs> I had the so, opportunity one to the judge a show this fall and one of the only shows that happened in the Indianapolis area. And, you know, going into it, I think we were all kind of like, I don't know if this is a great idea, but then, you know, there was space between groups and, um, not a lot of fans, you know, you had to leave after a couple groups. And I think I quickly realized, oh, this actually, this is really well planned. They put a lot of thought into this. It was at Brownsburg High School. And, um, you know, and, and then I went and judged another show at Mason. Same thing. It was so well planned out that I think everyone felt at ease with how close they were to other people. And, you know, just the, you know, we're not going to serve everybody hot dogs and, you know. I think there were just some smart decisions that everybody was like, okay, I get to come see my student perform and then I can safely leave. And um, I really felt, I felt like it was really well run. And I'm sure you guys are, are thinking about all those lessons that those groups have, have learned. Yeah, we have, we have that advantage. We have the advantage of the intelligence that's being gathered as conventions and, and basketball is played in our state. Uh, we also have the, uh, the smart decisions that are being made by some indoor groups and uh, circuits around the country. And, uh, and like you mentioned, what bands are doing, what concert bands are even doing. 
and just understanding, you know, rehearsal situations. And while everything we will do will be outdoors, uh, except for at Lucas Oil Stadium, and perhaps who knows, maybe a roof gets opened. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all going to depend on what the circumstances are at the time. But, you know, in every one of these situations, we have to work with the public health departments uh, in regards to these events, and we have to have their approval. So uh, we're going to definitely have to have a plan in place to to pull these things off. And uh, I do hope that everybody feels safe because, again, we're not doing it unless it is. And, uh, you know, make sure that uh, everybody has that uh, awesome experience that they they want to have out of this. And that's the thing, too, is, is you know, people ask, is it going to be different? And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, it is going to be different. But you know what? There's some value in that difference, too. And that's, you know, the lessons learned in the last 12 months by the cores, the interaction amongst the directors uh, across the country has been nothing short of amazing. They've been meeting several times a month talking about not only the current situation and how each of them are trying to get through the current situation and manage their business and so forth, but what they can do to improve the drum corps experience in 2022 and beyond and, you know, how they can tour differently and how they can, uh, you know, uh, use uh, all of the technology that's been developed in the last 12 months with regards to virtual uh, to their advantage before they do get to together live and you know the the using the hybrid version of that to enhance the experience for the performers and, and those types of things so lots of lots of really good uh things happening with regards to our governance with regards to how we're trying to reimagine ourselves uh and uh see how we can do this to to not only make it a post pandemic experience but an experience that really serves the uh, young people that want to participate today in a manner that will do so in a way that they just got to be a part of this for several years to come. Besides the well, Dan, spectator experience. Add- oh, sorry, Bobby, go ahead. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. That's a, because I think that one side of this for all of us, cause I'm a saxophone player for all of us out here, you know, we're kind of like, this is great for all of you folks. Um, but you also have another side of this that kind of addresses all performers, and I think it sounds sport. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how that's going to adapt in this next season. Well, that's great. Thank you for asking that. The sound sport program is one of our little uh, jewels, if you will. Uh, in 2013, we founded sound sport, and the purpose of sound sport was to provide independent organizations with an opportunity to perform at or around DCI events around the country uh, without creating that barrier to entry. You know, the drum corps that exist today, open class and world class, they have these behemoth infrastructures to support them. And it's a challenge to start a drum corps these days. Uh, They're not like the community-based organizations I was a part of. Well, that's what SoundSport has become is more of a community focus, more of a, you know, maybe people within a 50 mile radius can gather in a town and uh, rehearse, put a program together that's not uh, perhaps setting the world on fire from a design sophistication standpoint, 
but is something fun, enjoyable, enjoyable for the performers on an enjoyable uh, stage or achievable stage, I should say, like a basketball court size stage, uh, perhaps a smaller group. And you can do it for, you know, uh, nickels uh, instead of uh, tens of dollars uh, like cores have to do now. And, and that's the, that's been the beauty of it. And what we've discovered over those uh, last several years is we have an international appeal to sound sport. Uh, you'll find sound sport in Ireland and England, uh, across Europe, you'll find sound sport events in Japan, uh, Indonesia, in, in other countries where they have adapted to the judging that we have, because it's more of a festival judging process. Your group achieves a gold, a, a silver, or a bronze ranking or rating, and, or ranking, I mean. And, uh, you know, ratings are uh, uh, not public. And uh, we have found that that has served these groups really well and almost had a record of international participation in 2020. Uh, based on the intent, uh, we were looking at uh, nine groups uh, wanting to participate all over the world uh, in that, along with the, the domestic groups. Now, what we have done is we've taken that concept of lowering the barriers to entry, uh, and we have partnered with Varsity Performing Arts, and we are establishing the same process, thought process, if you will, uh, in uh, putting events together for scholastic uh, high school marching bands uh, in the fall. And as we've already addressed, Bands of America, uh, WGI, U.S. Bands, uh, these are organizations that do a terrific job of servicing these amazing marching bands that participate with them. And while certainly those bands would be welcome at a sound sports scholastic event, what we're really looking to do is open it up for groups that might not have the same resources as some of those great bands have, and they want to participate in an opportunity where we can bring more groups together that are more diverse, more inclusive. Uh, the athletic band component is very important uh, to Sound Sports Scholastic. Uh, there's uh, the traditional marching band, of course, competitive marching band is. Uh, we also have a drumline category uh, and Is that the, uh, the category, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of shaped differently than a battle. Okay. It's not so much, uh, head to head as, as we have, uh, for entertainment purposes, as it is, uh, something that's evaluated, uh, and, uh, you know, along those lines, again, using the, uh, kind of the sound sport, uh, judging process, to uh, reward and evaluate those programs. And a little the, bit more educationally students, focused. I'm sorry to interrupt. So, um, are some okay. of those students, will they be performing on like a, a tarp that's already there or just a plain cord or they can bring in a tarp or is it very, very much simplified where? We're gonna, we're gonna try to keep it as simple as possible because with the tarp comes, uh, you know, 13 marimba, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we're transporting just, we, the tarp. And we, yeah, we're not we're not trying to discourage that kind of participation, but we're not trying to encourage it either. We're trying to create a a playing field that awards all kinds 
uh, music and, and so forth. And that's the category of the four categories that we're developing that I'm the most excited about. And that is what they're referring to as the performing arts category, mm-hmm. where you can bring a small ensemble, you design it however you want to be a part of this. It can be all saxophones. It can be uh, saxophones and dancers. It can be, uh, you know, whatever, a, a, a drum set and dancers, it, you know, a variety of acts. Uh, it can be choral. It can be, uh, you name it. But a, wow. a category that just is uh, open for interpretation and to be different and exciting because, as you know, there's a lot of schools out there that have an outstanding uh, small pep band program, perhaps, or they have just an amazing uh, group of dancers that they might want to feature or, you know, those types of things. So kind of a variety of performing arts acts in that category. And the really cool thing about it is you can bring a group that participates in all four categories in the same day, sure. uh, which, which makes that uh, a, a little bit more exciting and and fun, we hope, uh, for the uh, the folks that might want to uh, participate in this. But we're trying to take out the the uh, the intensity of the drive uh, to score a point. Uh, we don't want to take out anything that has anything to do with uh, excellence. Of course, we want that to be the focus. We want these performers to want to achieve excellence at all times, but just with a little bit more, I guess, balance of uh, reality with what their program is capable of doing from a resource standpoint. What I love about this is I think it's, you know, DCI, I think if we looked at 1975, 85, 95, 05, 15, and then 20, you would see radically different things every 10 years. And it's, it has evolved to the place of just, sheer um, uh, performance excellence. Uh, when you look at even some of the the different classes of cores or some of the younger cores, it's still like this is this is still very fine. It, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, this would have won uh, DCI or, or a group that maybe was uh, DCA would be uh, DCI or like, you know, the top 10 or all that to say, I think that this actually harkens back to what the ultimate goal of DCI was, and that was to bring music out into all communities and get as many people involved in music to some degree or another and spread that across the country. And I think that's I think that's really very important and something that we have to be careful of that we don't forget that it's not just about quality, but it is kind of about quantity. Uh, they, if there are not as many people who understand the musical aspect and especially instrumental music aspect, it doesn't matter that we can have the best drum corps ever to walk the earth if there are only about a few thousand people that care. So right. I think it's, it's great that you're really trying to expand this opportunity. Some of my favorite memories of judging early on with DCM, D- Drum Corps Midwest, Every show uh, seemed to revolve around some sort of local community festival, the Strawberry Festival, the Lake Michigan Festival, the, you know, Cherry, whatever it was, uh, it seemed like the whole community kind of rallied around the parade, the standstill performances, the 
you know, you have elderly people bringing their chairs out on the lawn of the, you know, the, the town square. It, it really harkened back to kind of good old days of community, you know, before we had the internet and, and all of the things to distract us. It was like, hey, let's go see this thing. Uh, on the square this weekend or this parade. And um, I, I remember just kind of stumbling upon one year, uh, Star of Indiana playing on the steps of the Capitol in Bloomington, Indiana, when I was just down there randomly on some weekend. And it was awesome. There were, you know, hundreds of people just sitting around listening to a standstill performance. And it, they didn't get the the full DCI finals experience, but they still were entertained and 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 had access to that music. It was awesome. Yeah, and the performers enjoy that as the opportunity as well. And that's, that's it. I guess you could say that uh, Drum Corps International is trying to reverse engineer yeah. uh, because we were born out of these communities uh, in so many ways, and uh, on, especially on the independent side with these organizations that were tied to various you know, VFWs, American Legions, churches, and so forth. And, and now we're trying to make sure that that same concept exists. Sure, everyone would love to be achieving the highest level in the best group in the land, and wouldn't that be fun? But at the same time, the most important thing is, is that you're out there, you're playing music, you're making music, you're having fun, and you know, you're discovering the marching music experience. And you know, it doesn't matter what level that occurs at. Uh, yeah, Dan, I, I think I would have agreed with you wholeheartedly two years ago, but now seeing seeing my kids and listening to them, yes, achieving at a high level is still important, but I think that the, the fields are ripe right now of people who just want to be part of something and part of a musical experience, and they, they don't necessarily want to jump into 20 hours a week of rehearsal. And so this, I know we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to belabor it too much more, but I, honestly, I didn't quite understand what all of this was until, you know, looking on the website and talking with you about it. I think that for many of our directors listening to this, you need to check this out because this is something where I think any kid could be a part of this. And, you know, if, especially if you're a director in a, a town or an area where you might be a little uh, challenged to do some of the marching band uh, full out type ex activities we talk about, this could be a great alternative for you to consider. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Dan, Thank uh, you. coming back to um, this, this coming summer, what are you hearing from the various boards of directors and, and executive directors of drum corps? What are they most worried about? Is it, is it the busing? Is it the housing? Is it the feeding of students? Cause I think, you know, we've all experienced performances that, you know, we, we can do performances in masks or without masks, and we can we can have limited amount of spectators, you know, socially distanced and all that. We've seen that happen successfully. What what are the big concerns that, that you're hearing from the drum corps themselves? Yeah, I think the, it, just uh, keeping them safe when they have to move them is probably the biggest uh, challenge and making sure that, uh, you know, all those things are in order from the time that they leave their uh, respective bubbles uh, that they're trying to create for spring trainings and so forth and move them to the next location, uh, interact at that location, and then move to the next location uh, is going to be the biggest challenge. I think so they're like rest uh, stops and 
getting off in. Yeah, I mean, imagine Bucky's you know if you're Texas in Texas and all that. Yeah, if you're if you're in a bubble, uh, and then you're riding uh, on a bus, and then you stop at a truck stop, the there's no more bubble. Right. <laughs> so uh, so there's there are protocols for that. There's ways to manage that. And, uh, you know, just like anyone in high schools and universities now that have been performing on a regular basis, you know, there's going to be protocols that we're going to have to have in place to manage that. But I think that's the number one aspect of it. And it's, it's just about creating the most meaningful experience they can for the performers while still dealing with the realities of the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, the certainly the the core members signing up for this know what they're getting into. Uh, but even with that, it, we still want this to be special uh, in so many ways for these performers because it is going to be different for them. Uh, but uh, if they're eager to uh, jump on, uh, we're going to be eager to make sure that they can. And uh, the core's boards, of course, are all concerned about the finances and you know managing through that. But uh, like I said, the resilience of them is just remarkable what they've been able to do and uh, the uh, manner in which they've been able to find resources to, to not just uh, celebrate 2021, but to look beyond and to make decisions that are, you know, really going to help them uh, continue through the future. And like every business in America, you know, we're, it's going to take a few years for DCI to get through this. Right. Uh, and certainly it is for the cores themselves. And uh, the fact that they're, you know, getting excited about 2021 to do something for their uh, participants and then uh, start getting excited about DCI's 50th anniversary in 2022 and participating in that is, it's just great to, a year later to be sitting yeah. here talking about that. <laughs> I mean, in this a is, good year, you have at least one drum corps uh, that folds or, you know, the, the organizing organization has, you know, the, the money isn't there or the infrastructure is not there. And I'm sure, have you seen uh, a number of drum corps organizations just say, Hey, we're for now, we're going to, we're going to close our doors and hopefully come back again. Um, I don't think it's a close their doors. I think there's a couple that have decided, you know what, we're going to hold on. Yeah. And they're smart decisions. They're they're all each core. Those that are wanting to participate and those that that are wanting to hang on are making really smart decisions for themselves. And uh, you know, I think uh, to date, no one has indicated to me that their doors are permanently closed. Okay. And, and now that, some, and some groups that have of decided to kind amazing. of stay in their own area, right? Yeah. 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 There there won't be too many open class cores participating in Indianapolis. Uh, some of them are going to participate regionally, uh, and some of them have decided they're just going to hang out for another year, and they have every intention uh, to participating in 2022 at this point. And even a couple so, of the uh, perennial top of the top uh, top of the top groups that are in world class have decided to uh, do their own thing for a year. I, I at least from what I've heard. Yeah, and I think that's the, uh, the I guess you could call it the uh, the foresight of the the members of Drum Corps International, the 20 cores that are the member cores. When they got together, uh, I, I can't remember exactly when that decision was made, but it was early on, like in the summertime, perhaps in 2020, where they decided, you know what, we're not going to hold each other to needing to do something in 2021. Uh, everyone can do what they think is in the best interest of their own organization for 2021. Uh, 
We hope you'll participate in, in a gathering in Indianapolis, but uh, you know, if it's not in your organization's best interest, by all means, uh, do what you need to do for your long-term health and wellness. And uh, That's great. you know, at the same time, those groups are very supportive of the groups that are eager to get back out onto the field in 2021. So yeah, the uh, camaraderie, the uh, care for one another, uh, it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Uh, so, yeah. Dan, one of the things you mentioned earlier was some silver linings, you know, and one of them being how, how communicative the, the directors, the core directors have been and maybe even how much greater that is now. I know when I look around my band in particular, I can tell you that I think our relationships are stronger now than they've ever been. And usually that's the case. Whenever you go through traumatic experiences together, it really brings people together for sure. Are there any other silver linings that you feel like DCI or cores in particular can at least hold on to as we're starting to hopefully be on the back edge of this whole COVID affair? Well, I think one of the, the things that happened in the last 12 months that you two can certainly appreciate as teachers is the access that the current core members through that whole pandemic had to teaching that they may not or consulting or whatever you want to call it, seminars that they would have never had before. I'm talking about one top group's uh, designers talking to another top group's uh, performers about how they do things and that kind oh, wow. of interaction. Yeah. We're gonna have by far <laughs> the most well-informed uh, core members that DCI has ever had because they've had the time to listen to these great people uh, across the activity and to listen to some history and to appreciate the history of the drum corps experience and, and those types of things. And I, Boy, I, I really look forward to seeing what the next decade of young teachers that come out of that, uh, teaching in the activity, teaching in schools and so forth, uh, with how much access that they have had to just yeah. some Great. brilliant teaching uh, along the way that, you know, until the Zoom invention, so <laughs> we didn't right. seem to have as much of, you know, so it, right. it, yeah, it's just, it's great to see that. But uh we, yeah, I think the the most important thing right now, and I think we're all feeling it as uh, American citizens, is we're all like eager to just really kick this thing forward, uh, while all at the same time, yep, got to be safe still. Don't let's not get ahead of ourselves, but at the same time, let's go, let's get this going, and uh, you know that drive, that enthusiasm. You know, I can't, you know, when we talk about as we talked about earlier about what's going to be on the field in twenty twenty one. I think we're going to see some of the most enthusiastic performances we've seen in a long time. And Bobby and I have talked about this a lot on the program. Um, we talked about it on a Music for All webinar last week is that uh, the learning management systems, the electronic, the video, the audio, the ability to um, give lessons to students all over the country and, and actually watch and listen to their assignments just from your own house, uh, the ability to run an entire weekend drum corps camp from all over the place that didn't exist even three years ago. And so I think we're seeing great teaching elevated because of that. You don't have to fly somewhere 
to you know show that you know your notes and rhythms and the instructor doesn't have to fly somewhere to tell somebody how to stand up straight and um, boy is that that's been amazing at the high school level for us um, you know some of our individual skills are way better than they used to be so I'm sure that drum corps are experiencing experiencing the same thing yeah now they have a tool that they can take into the future to manage, uh, you know, think about the cost of a camp, right. not just for the, the core to put on a camp, but for the performers uh, that, you know, like to go to a different location and fly there. Uh, and, you know, just the time away from their studies and, you know, all that type of thing. It's just, yeah, it's going to be a very, very positive enhancement uh, when we get back to live again. And uh, it's carrying all that technology forward. It'll, yeah, <laughs> I think we're going to see a lot of students who are being a part of a drum corps way away from their own home because of it. You know, I I've always, you know, in the years that I worked with the cadets storm bugle corps, I always tried to get Carmel students to go out there and, you know, almost to a student. It was like, I don't know, that's like five plane flights before spring training. You know, it's already expensive to do this. Um, I don't think I can handle that. And so. Now you're saying to students maybe in the future, um, hey, all these camps are virtual. You just got to show up when we all show up and think of the cost savings to the individual student, the parents, the, you know, the, the organization flying 12 staff members in for a two-day camp. That's enormous amount of expense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love the idea. Well, just uh, selfishly uh, for our own staff travel and meetings as well. Yeah. You know, the, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing what, what opportunities exist. Now there is a downside to that, right? There seems to be too many zoom meetings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's definitely the case. It's getting well, better, I, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody's, you know, oh, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of that. Uh, but I'm, you know, especially as we're up on this one year anniversary where we didn't have that, I remember sitting at home and, uh, you know, it was, okay, we're going to try this thing called zoom, but really everything's going to be on Google classroom and send your kids assignments and have them do that. You know, zoom was a godsend or meet or whatever all, all those were were godsends at the time and i know we've done a lot of them now but i i you know i i have zoom every day in every class that i have but i'm really thankful for that and i i also that idea of bringing in clinicians well i was telling jeff earlier i had someone observe our classes he'd listened to one of our other uh broadcasts and he just and i told people if you want to watch like now's the time uh you can go and visit almost any classroom you wish by zooming in. And I had last Friday a, a, a young man observe all day long. And then I could come in between classes and say, okay, what did you, what questions do you have? I mean, it, it cost him nothing to do that. Yet, you know, it made me teach better. I think it taught something for him. And, you know, even strangely enough, my kids act differently when they know they're being watched and they puffed they, up a little bit. They puffed up. That's exactly right. They were like, Oh, okay. We're going to show you what we can do. Um, Dan, for, for me, the, the next thing that I, I think that the listeners would be interested in is, you know, we're talking a lot about DCI 2021. That's great. Uh, and, and I think we all know what it's going to be, but what's, what's DCI 2025 going to be like? Look into your crystal ball 
and tell us we, we've talked <laughs> about some of the of <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, we we've we've talked about some of the the things that are going better, some of the advantages we have, some of the tools. Uh, we've talked about some of the challenges. What do you think is going to be happening in 2025 that will challenge us? or that will excite us as we move forward? That's a tough question, so you may want to ponder that. This is where we would take a station identification break. <laughs> I'll edit out the silence. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. No, I think it's uh, I, it, everything you just addressed there is, is an important component of where this is going. Uh, I think the lessons we learned from our grand pause of 2020 and 2021 to some degree are going to help us reshape how we tour, how we uh, structure events, uh, and um, the, the care and feeding of the uh, students, and how that is shaped uh, into an even better experience for them. Uh, and you acknowledge one of them, you know, using the virtual opportunities that are there to cut down on the costs that they have to put forth to participate. Um, but uh, you also made mention of the fact that they can join any group if they audition and make the cut. Uh, so, you know, they're not restricted by geography so much. So the, what's almost frightening is the, the kind of talent and experience the performers are going to have in just, you know, four or five short years from now and the, the level that they bring. I think the evolution, you know, as far as the designers are concerned, is the more that we see uh, happening on the marching band field and, and using uh, you know, different approaches to what a marching band can even be, as well as uh, what's going on in the evolution of indoor and the drum corps activity itself, as we've seen with the staging and, and those types of things. You know, the, the corps are gonna find a way to do what they did in 2019 perhaps, but they're also gonna take a more uh, a sensible look at things and because they already have uh, related to bringing those uh, you know truckloads of props out onto the field and so forth. They're very sensitive today to what that does to the the core members' experience if they have to be engaged in setting up the props and the staging and and, and so forth. Uh, so uh, you might see a little leaner bit of that, or I'd be surprised if it would be too much less. It's probably just going to be incredibly more efficient yeah, uh, yeah. with what they bring. And, uh, you know, the joke now is they know that the lights in the stadium can go off and on like a switch in your home. So uh, it's like, hold on there. <laughs> Let's not drive costs. <laughs> Let's not drive costs too much further. Right. So, uh, right. but yeah, so it's, it's exciting though, because you know, the, like yourselves, the great people that we have uh, engaged in the creativity of uh, the side of the, uh, uh, of the activity is, you know, that for me, of course, I observe that and I get to interact with it very little except for as a fan and uh, just love every minute of it. <laughs> Do you have any favorite moments over the last 20 years or so that you've been executive oh, wow. director? And I know you can't probably play favorites here, but um, is there, have there been any moments that you just thought, I'm going to write that, I'm going to write that one down and remember that forever or. Well, I don't, I don't have to write them down. It's the thing that's, they're so special, but the, what, what I, you know, as a, as a core director, of course, you know, in, in a old drill designer and all that, I have, you know, those, those things that I like 
you know, but uh, what I've evolved to with this role is the excitement that is generated between the performer and the spectator and back to the performer and back to the spectator. And uh, often at, on finals night, what I like to do is go into one of the back tunnels and just watch how the crowd reacts to the performance. Mm. Uh, and then those moments that I act like I have something important to do on the front sideline, uh, I'm really selfishly going down there to get that same interaction between the energy coming off the field and the energy coming out of the stands back to the field. And those are special to me because I know that that's what the performer really wants. Yeah. You know, they, they want to see that. And I, it, it, uh, you know, whenever you see a core that hasn't been in the top 12 for a while, make the top 12 again, and they come out onto the field, the first ones on usually, uh, and the crowd just goes bananas for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. that, that love affair that, that exists between the fans that, you know, may not be their first, you know, may not be their favorite core, but by golly, you know, they're there for them because they achieve something, you know, that they just welcome them back uh, to finals or, you know, to the top three or, you know, whatever it is, or to the championship, you know, when, when a uh, core that hasn't won the championship that often or at all wins, it's always exciting for everybody uh, in the stands, uh, you know, and because they know how hard it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. So hard, you know, yeah. it's so hard to be on the field, uh, you know, at any level, but at that at highest level too. And everyone understands that. And that's why being at finals is such a great experience. Well, one thing I got to tell you too, my, my true joy annually has been, uh, uh, sitting on the, uh, 50 yard line up in the press box, uh, for the open class finals. Um, that it, again, same thing, the energy that comes off that field uh, with performers that are working just as hard as anybody, uh, that they compete with, uh, world-class or otherwise, it's just extraordinary. It's just, you know, just raw emotion. Uh, sometimes it comes too loudly through a baritone every now and then that I notice, but uh, <laughs> it's just great that the, the energy they're fired up. They're just excited to be a, a part of this. And then the fans react and they're excited that they're there for that moment. So yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's great to be a fan of the activity. It's uh, uh, so fun to watch the evolution of it each and every year. I had the privilege of judging uh, the open class finals uh, two years. And one of the years I was on the field, and the other field judge was my friend Carl Bly. And I remember we came off after, I think it was Santa Clara Vanguard Cadets, and he was crying. And I was like, wow, like this is open class, and, and the top level of these open class cores has brought the music judge to tears. Like this is really cool. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's, uh, yeah, very real. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, from the fans' perspective, you know, thank you for what you and DCI are doing to keep this going. I mean, I don't think any of us could or want to imagine a world without those organizations providing those opportunities for us. I think we would all be in serious trouble if, if it was, you know what, keeping drum corps is a little too hard. So we're going to, we're going to stop that. Oh man. I just, I think about how far we've come and how, I think it's even addressed a lot of social issues. Like it's not just go out and play. It is we have to now take care of these kids and these members and these alums who, you know, if you if you think that they 
you know, not paying attention, go to Drum Corps Planet and log in, and you can get plenty of folks that have plenty of opinions about <laughs> everything, <Yes>. really. <laughs> but but it's it's that passion, though. You know, DCI has really fueled that passion. Like I said, I remember when I heard Star of Indiana uh, playing Pines. Now I had no idea what Pines of Rome even meant. I had never heard of Respighi before, no clue whatsoever. And that led me to go listen to the orchestral work, which led me to, you know, several other things um, by Respighi and Pines and Fountains and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. All that to come back and say, we thank you very much for being passionate and being driven to keep this not only alive, but thriving. Dan, thanks so much for your time. And uh, Bobby, I think... I think we're ready to sign off. Uh, until next time, I'm Jeff Young. And I'm Bobby Lambert. And this is That Band Life.